Uh, I'm gonna play Jazzy now. I'm gonna kill you, you Zeke. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tomodachi Brothers podcast. I'm Cog here again with my mobile suit squadron mates, Mr. Ditako and the Hipster Snack. You can call me the Living Dead Killmaster Ditako. I'm the Hipster Snack, and don't confuse my hipster jazz with the hipster jazz from this. Uh, are, is that your call sign, Hipster Snack? <laughs> yeah. So today on the show, we're actually covering. One of the ones that I picked, which was the, and is also going to be the final installment to our Gundam-thon. So we finally did it. We finally finished the Gundam-thon with this. But today we are going over Mobile Suit Gundam Thunderbolt. Man, and I don't know how to say this, but I can't believe I am saying this because I love Gundam, but... The series. I, I feel like I feel like we kind of need to disbar Cog from voting ever again. Oh no, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, that's that's that. that's a bit. Much. I don't. I don't. That's I don't mean much, that. I so, don't mean that. All right. All right. Let me preface this. Okay, listeners, you'll notice if you go back and listen to these episodes, these two guys immediately jumped on. Hey, let's pick my favorite series. So I'm going to be Mr. Fanboy, and we're just gonna fanboy all the all day. But uh, my choice for Thunderbolt was more informed of this was a more recent show that I had watched, and it really is a weird mixed bag of a show. And that is. Yeah. So as I've said, one of my personal favorites is actually Eighth Team. This one, I've just I watched it and I've been holding on to some opinions on it. And that's that's how we're here. It's really funny, Cog. Just when you came back, no joke, I was actually ranting about how 8th MS Team is a better, like, grim war story than <laughs> Thunderbolt Gundam. So, let me let me uh, get into this here. So, Thunderbolt was a very limited series, uh, very much aimed at hard fans, I would say, in its outset. It's this little side project, which was released as an ONA, or an original net animation, based on an ongoing manga of the same name. And it's just this really short two-season show, which only includes about four episodes for each season. Now, there are two compilation films which were released, Thunderbolt, December Sky, and Banded Flower. But this came out near around the same time in 2015 as two other big titles that Sunrise put out, which were actually got pushed much harder, which, if I recall, it was... Gundam The Origin films had come out, as well as IBO, the mainline series, was coming out, or Iron-Blooded Orphans, very much all came out around the same time as in 2015. So this little-known show kind of was just originally an online pay-to-download thing, and it really flew under a lot of people's radars. So the Thunderbolt series 
was directed by a guy named uh, Ko Matsuo. He directed this Thunderbolt series and another mecha series known as Valve Rave. Oh, man, that one right there. That is a beautiful train wreck of a series. Yeah. So (laughs) the manga is actually still ongoing for this. They have really been taking their sweet time on it because the original manga creator actually got sick and the series went on to hiatus. And since then, he, from what I've heard, he has recovered. There are, there's potential that there might be a season three for this show, but it's going to be a while because the same team that is doing that did Thunderbolt is as of this recording now going to be doing the new Gundam movies for Hathaway's flash. So another prerequisite, this is a very niche little show. If you are new to Gundam, do not start here. Much like Turn A Gundam, if it's one of these series that I just you just kind of dig up as a Gundam fan, and it is very much a little side companion piece, sort of, that ties heavily into the overall UC Gundam lore. It is heavy, heavy in, like, obscure. And I'm talking, like, these are models and side stories that have not been like prominent since like the early eighties, like right after mobile suit Gundam itself came out and it, it references a bunch of them, like the mobile suit in action, mobile suit variation, the big protagonist unit in the first season, uh, the MS six R psychozaku that originally was just an expensive model you could get, which part of that was that those models helped fund Zeta Gundam. But, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that later. It's just, yeah, it's an extremely niche, very hardcore series that you're probably not going to get much out of unless you're like one of those people who goes, oh, Psychomu system. Oh, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. And you're not going, OK, that's uh, it's kind of weird that they're cutting off all of his limbs, even though I'm not going to lie. There's never any indication in any prior lore that they need to cut off their limbs in order to use Psychomu systems. So, uh, what the heck? Mobile Suit Thunderbolt Gundam is the magical, musical, heartwarming, and oh-so-wholesome story of one man building a selfless bond Bull. with Bull. a giant robot. Bull. <laughs> Bull. 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 It's the story of a selfish, selfish, self-centered, bullying, uh, bullying an enemy who he overpowers, has vast firepower and force multiplication on, and gets upset when they either evade him or outthink him. And every single time this happens, he gets really and starts to blare his jazz. And he's like, I am the demon of the battlefield. (laughs) E.O. Fleming is not Amaro Ray. He is a whiny brat. He needs somebody to backhand him and say, look, you, you are a pilot in a military force, you are not some rock star. Stop with your stupid jazz shenanigans. <laughs> this ain't nothing of the sheer number of war crimes committed throughout this series. Uh, yeah, he specifically goes out of his way to kill fleeing wounded combatants. I'm pretty sure that's against the Antarctic Treaty. Yes, there is, in fact, a character named E.O. Fleming who is on the side of the Federation. And he is, as I would probably describe him, he, he's he's a basically a giant penis that likes to spray jazz everywhere that wow that's a mental image i will never get out of my head no matter how hard i try (laughs) 
I mean, he literally, he literally is commenting on the full armor of Gundam that he has, and he calls it the Demon of the Battlefield, and he's like, there's no greater rush than riding around in the Demon of the Battlefield, slaughtering those who oppose me. God, I love it. It's the greatest thrill. And it's like, okay, this seems like, you know what? This sounds like something that, like, one of those Monster of the Week-esque, like, pilots at the second half of Mobile Suit Gundam would have right before they get into a giant mobile armor, and Amuro goes, no, we should stop fighting, but I love fighting. Boof. Oh, he is dead now. I win. <laughs> I, I, as I understand, he's supposed to be the villain. But here's the thing. We get so much about, like, just his everyday life and just, do 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 I'm just going around enjoying jazz. Man, I sure do love jazz and killing people. do 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 And it's like... Yeah, you do get a lot of EO in this. And it is very much a flip side thing where you you don't really get this in many of the other Gundam series where, uh, honestly, from my perspective, the Gundam is the bad guy in this one. No, it totally is. It totally is. Do They do a 180 where you have another character, Daryl Lorenz, who is just, he's just a soldier in Zeon and he's just really good at his job. Yeah. Who gets a Zaku. Oh man. They, they give him a Zaku. We want to talk about an underdog battle. Let's say nothing of the fact that anachronism Gundam over there has like these weird bit shield things. No, 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 no. see anachronism Gundam is in season two. The form of uh, Gundam actually kind of sort of makes sense. If you recall that at that same time, Gundam Alex is around and it's about the same thing. Right. The thing is though, is that, yeah, why does he have a, a Zaku? Why doesn't he have a Gelgoog or another, any of the other prototype units, like a Gabaldi, something cool? I mean, if they're going to give the, the main villain some bullshit overpowered, like, I've got literal, like, layers of Chabam armor. Ha ha, Zaku can't do anything to this. And yet he throws a hissy fit. It's like, you dare to chink my armor because you did this really cool flip turn. Uh, I'm going to play jazz at you now. I'm going to kill you, you Zeke. It's funny because it, it actually touches on a lot of things that we have kind of talked about. They really, really make it big in with this thing, with the just pompousness of how the Gundam becomes this just image for them to the point that they start swapping out heads on their normal GMs just to mess with Zeon. And it kind of goes back to a point that Detaku's brought up in previous points of his space noise did nothing wrong. And it, you kind of get that side of it with this where, oh my God, you feel bad for Zeon in this thing. Yeah. Like you got this guy, Daryl, who you're watching it and it's just like, oh my God, this freaking poor guy, they're like chopping his limbs off and stuff. And he, I have to admit, even after that happens, the guy's sitting there going, you know what? I'm, I'm happy I did it for my friends. I'm going to fight for you guys. You just feel so bad for this guy. Yeah. I mean, having, having lived with many, many career soldiers, there comes a certain point where people, if they are dedicated enough to the cause will sacrifice like that and they will they will be happy about it it's, it's one of those things where it's like yes you know if they didn't need to they they wouldn't but they they answered the call and that's the thing and if zeon needed him to sacrifice his limbs the way he did and that's that's honestly the thing the one part i really liked about this was the camaraderie between the living dead brigade and the fact that even in the second season where they're they're scattered and they kind of are getting back together 
And then they have new people like Lieutenant Billy, who I wasn't really sure what I what to make of him at first. But honestly, like he has to be my MVP of the second season. I don't really have an MVP. It's like I really did not like a lot of the second season. I feel like it's got some cool action scenes, but the plot just goes everywhere. Well, yeah, it's it's the vast majority of it is it's either a battle with these act guys who ironically are actually pretty advanced for that time, and yet they're still getting trashed, or you have a battle between, oh, you want to talk about anachronism, Gundam. Oh, hey guys, it's me, Atlas Gundam. I just walked in from Seed, and now I'm here. Yeah. I'm an amphibious mobile suit, and I also can fly literally from the sea level up to the upper atmosphere in like a few minutes. Oh, by the way, I also have all these different transformations, and I can fight perfectly, in underwater, and I also have all these millions of guns, and there's these fin funnels. I am the amazing Gundam. Woohoo! I'm so cool. Oh, and also by the way, I have a battery. I, I literally have a, a battery generator, which is something that yes, true, is like a thing they mentioned in Mobile Suit Gundam, but for the beam rifle, not for the Gundam itself. Brief summary here: so Thunderbolt for those who haven't watched it yet, you should really watch it before you probably listen to this podcast. But if you're not going to watch it, so Thunderbolt does some time jumping. Honestly, don't so, bother. Yeah. Or, or just don't watch it and listen, listen to us. So, so Thunderbolt does some time jumping. Season one takes place during the one year war. Season two starts at the end of the one year war with the battle of about coup and proceeds to eight months post-war. So if you guys remember back to original Gundam, I want to say it was somewhere early on. There was a scene where they would show like a map of the different sides in the early onset of the war. Several space colony clusters were destroyed and they show you in like episode 12, they show this map of the different side colonies and they're just kind of getting X'd out. If you go back and look at that map, side four or colony cluster side four, this is where Thunderbolt takes place. And in the remnants of what was the side four colony cluster, aka more, the Xeon forces now known as, well, in this sector known as the Living Dead Corps are pretty much fighting tooth and nail to main control over side four. Because at least from I recall, um, from browsing the manga, it, it, it is an area that protects a major supply route to a Baoku. And the Federation's main force in the Thunderbolt sector is led by the Moore Brotherhood which is another core branch of the Federation that has a lot of people that actually lived on side four, because that is kind of an important thing to note. Not all the space colonies were allied with Xeon during the war. And side four is one where it was actually Federation territory before the fighting started. And so now you have the more brotherhood fighting for their homeland. And then the Xeon remnants living dead core fighting to just maintain the line. Then, like I said, season two begins at the end of the One Year War with the Battle of Abawaku, where Xeon loses the war. Eo Fleming and some other Fetty POWs are recovered, and the series proceeds eight months after that. There's some internal strife going on post-war, which the Federation is working on putting a stop to. We have this whole thing with the introduction of an organization called the South Sea Alliance, which doesn't make a lot of sense and is this organization based in South Asia, and they're initially allied with the Federation during the war, but now we're seeking to capitalize on the post-war confusion, and it just gets kind of weird because they get the remnants of the psycho Zaku, and they're trying to rebuild it, and then it just stops. Much like we had with Ninja Slayer, season two just stops. 
Yeah, confusion is a good word for this series. Yeah, and I mean, it might also be, at least, because that was a thing for me. I, I didn't watch the seasons. I watched the movies. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so is this, an, is this like happening at the same time as 0083? Is this happening? Yeah, after Abawaku was like, is this happening like immediately in 0080? What, when is yeah. this? So that, that's good to know. Because honestly, that's, that's another thing. If we're going to go into season two, uh, that's a, that's a main major thing that I have a beef with about season two. I mean, honestly, I, in certain, certain respects, I think season two was a little bit better because it actually fleshed out Daryl and his, his side more. But the fact that EO Fleming gets another Gundam and whoops, he's so cool. And oh boy. I hated season two for that reason. I was like, I really did not like the Atlas Gundam. I don't like the design of the Atlas Gundam. It looks like something I would take to a ski resort. I did not like the weird skiing jets that it had behind it. Okay, fine. So, okay, here's the thing. The the Atlas Gundam, something I learned, I this like it didn't sit with me well while I was watching it, but here's the thing. And this this like completely what wow, okay, this makes sense. It's not actually a Universal Century Gundam. Universal Century Gundams don't have problems of power unless they're talking about like weapons or particular modes. But by and large, like you don't have to have the thing of like, oh, you know, I got, I can only be out for so long because I've only got so much charge. And that's a thing with Atlas. And it's got different modes and it's way over designed and it's got like wings upon wings and stuff. And it's got like beam funnels and stuff that really it shouldn't have. And it, it just clicked. You want to know what this actually is? It's a Gundam Seed Gundam that wandered in from Gundam Seed and just plumped its butt there. <laughs> that is a good way to describe it. Here's the thing. Gundam Seed, all their Gundams have transformations. All of them are over-designed with like wings upon wings and the wings turn into like guns and stuff. All of them have batteries except for very specific models and all of them have to be very careful as to when they actually will pull off their, I'm going to be the peace of the world, you know, uh, final attacks and everything. And also on top of that, they have to be very careful about flying because flying consumes a lot of charge. So they have the, the actual specific units that are designed to allow the Atlas Gundam to fly. Here's the thing, though. If this is right in 0080, okay, so here's the thing. There is no through line as to the fact that the Atlas Gundam and its design philosophy would lead into the Zephyranthes and the Physalis, or the Dendrobium Stamen or Orcus, or, God forbid, the RX-178 Super Gundam. You have a situation where you have this over-designed monstrosity, and you're like, yep, this is the precursor to all these really understated military units that have very specific roles, very specific rules, and they have very specific weapon loadouts and I understand, you know, this is, I'm talking about like shows, if I remember right, 0083 is from like 1990 and uh, Zeta is from 1986. But, and you know, Gundam is a very different animal from back then. But if it's trying to remain in continuity and it's trying to be that show that, you know, the hardcore nerds who have actually watched double, you know, Zeta in 0083, I'm sorry. I, I, my cognitive dissonance is like just flaring just a burp, 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 burp right now. And on top of that, Goblin I.O. Fleming is the one who's like, I am the one who's got the cool Gundam Seed Gundam, and I'm going to kill all the Zeeks. And 
there are several instances where I'm like, oh, guess what, Snack? He's going to get saved, even though by rights, by the own rules of his Gundam, he should die. He is out of power. He is sinking in the ocean. He should die. Whoops. His little girlfriend saves him with a unit that's not designed to be submerged. Oh, he outfights a amphibious mobile armor that outweighs him and outguns him. Oh, but because he's E.O. Fleming and he's got the power of contemporary jazz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> contemporary? Uh, uh, cacophonic might be a better word for it's it. It's free jazz, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, that's it. That's my Atlas Gundam rant. It is not a thing. And honestly, whoever designed it, I'm going to have to look that up. I'll like, I have to be like, dude, really? Seriously? This is not the way that Gundams in the Universal Century at this point would be. Yutaku was more of a Gundam head than me. I'm a very casual Gundam fan. But you put me in the situation where the lead dude has a mod, modded Zaku against this thing, this monstrosity that's subaquatic, terrestrial, celestial, and aerial all at the same time, which is an enormous budgetary sink, by the way. I work with military people. Can you tell? They don't actually fight in season two. Yeah, they, they don't even fight. And he gets this monstrosity Gundam. And the thing that completely shattered my suspension of disbelief was that water scene. Snack, Cog, I'm going to show you here. Look at this. This is the RX-178 Super Gundam. This is the Gundam that the AUG, the Anti-Earth Union Group, steals from the Titans at the very beginning of Zeta. This is a top-of-the-line brand new weapon designed specifically as a space superiority unit. This is supposed to be the thing that the Atlas Gundam leads into. Look at it. For those at home, Detaker just sent us images of the Super Gundam, the RG RX-178. It looks more like a straight upgrade of the actual Gundam than Atlas. Yeah, look at it. It's it's very sleek, very understated. It looks like an extension of the original RX-78. Do you really think that the Anaheim engineers who made this are like, okay, so so our last Gundam had like a transforming sled, these cool wings, it had like beam funnels and stuff. And, and do you really think that? Or it's just we're coming from... Iron Blood Orphans. We're coming from Gundam Seed Destiny. It's like, well, the kids love the transforming Gundams with the fin funnels. I mean, really, uh, which one of these is More it? than that, even just basic in-context continuity of how the weapons work. When he's in the water, when Eo and the Atlas Gundam are submerged and just got done fighting a unit that was designed for subaquatic warfare, he grabs his beam sabers and tries to use them like rockets. Are you talking about when he fought the Grabbero, the, the giant crab mobile yeah. armor? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's 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 bull. His thrusters go offline and he starts sinking. The lap follows. Well, then he grabs his beam sabers and is like, I'll put these to max energy. And they start acting like rocket propulsion systems. That is not how beam sabers work. And even a casual scrub like me knows that. What actually would happen, physically speaking, is the water would evaporate, cause a difference in pressure, and he would drop into the water faster. I mean, to be perfect, to play devil's advocate, even though I really shouldn't, there are actually certain units that do have differential uh, modes for beam sabers. Double, uh, double Zeta has this. Um, Tournay has this. However, 
Bear in mind, these are units that are... How many years after the one-year war is it that the Double Zeta is built? Uh, I want to say nine years. So... Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get some Gundam nerd who's going to be like, that's wrong! And I'm like, I haven't seen Double Zeta in like 10 years. They're going to call me an idiot, but like, again, I'm a very casual Gundam fan, and like, EO Fleming is intolerable. I wanted to know what was going on with Daryl, because honestly... He was the dude who had his head on straight. He was like, I'm doing this because I want the war to come to an end. And it was cool to see a side of Xeon that wasn't being painted as the generic mobile suit of the week villain like we saw in MS Gundam proper. That goes back to, yeah, some points. Again, this was one of the more recent ones I had watched. And I felt like it, it is such a really weird mixed bag of a lot of really bad stuff mixed with some interesting elements where I liked Daryl. I wanted more of him. Yeah, definitely. Animation wise, the animation's beautiful. It's phenomenal. Oh, no complaint from me there. Yeah, absolutely. It's got some wild action sequences. It's probably the grittiest, most violent Gundam series they've ever done. Oh yes, undoubtedly. And it's interesting to see that flip side like Snek brought up. I was like watching it and I actually really enjoyed the full armored versus the psycho goth. The fight sequence itself is amazing. They're like flying around, running into debris and it's just, it looks amazing. And then the psycho I one. really, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. The psycho Zaku versus not, the no, fully armored. And we, we just the, need the psycho goblin slayer. It's yes. Right. We, we can just call <laughs> it the psycho for short. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm watching this and I'm like, this looks so cool just with the, the the battle sequences but then it, you get to the end and i was so disappointed that it was not just like the one season and that eo actually survived i wanted so bad for daryl to just put down eo i wanted him to just put him down and for this to be like this was a win for Xeon. Like, look, we, it wasn't all just yeah. beating down, you know, Gundam just steamrolling everyone. It was like, look, we did it. Xeon actually got a win during the war and took out a Gundam, which they kind of do. They still kind of take it. I mean, he still maims the fully armored Gundam at the end of season one. Yeah, the full armored Gundam is, is basically shot. Oh, yeah, it's, it's wrecked at the but end. But then EO just gets away because... The way the movie shows it might be different than the series. It's not. Um, so the movies are literally the four episodes because they're only four episodes long and it's just slammed together. Yeah. Okay. So basically what happens at the very end, I don't know if they decided to save budget because all the voice actors suddenly aren't doing anything. And the first season concludes with some random power out letting a bunch of of Federation prisoners, including EO, out, and they just get out and escape. And it makes no sense. Yeah. EO, for whatever reason, is like being waterboarded, and he just like sneaks out. He has no clothes on. He's naked. And he's just like, yeah, sorry, I kept you waiting, guys. Let's go kill some Zeeks. Yeah. He, he's, he's beaten half to death. And for some reason, the door unlocks because of like a power failure or something. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is some Five Nights at Freddy's logic. The door should actually stay bolted when the power goes out. And anyone who's worked in a prison would know that. Yeah, so that was one of my big disappointments where I was like, God, I was watching this and I was like, okay, I actually really enjoyed that big climax into that fight. And then robots blowing up some great animation and stuff like that. But then it's like, 
So one, I was I was incredibly disappointed with the ending of season one, which then leads us into season two, which does again the animation's wonderful. It has some great sequences. I do like the Daryl Loren sequences a lot. The fact that we got to see the at guys of all things like running around actually has a pretty cool sequences with the at guys. You know when was the last time that the at guys were actually prominent? Yeah, uh, Gundam build fighters when they had the bear guy. That, that's like the last. Yeah. Thing so well, what, what, what about before that? Well, you see them in the original Gundam when they're sneaking into Jaburo, but yeah, and they, they're just cannon fodder. Yeah. They're just the little mar- maritime Zeon unit at the attack on Jaburo. Wow. So it's like just seeing these, these little things get like their little moment in the sun was kind of cool. So it, like it, it has some moments that are cool, but then the plot just goes everywhere and like, okay, this is supposed to be post the one year war. So I'm like, I'm wanting to see more about like the Titans. Can we set it up for Zeta Gundam? You know what I mean? I want I want more tie in with that. You know, here's the thing. They actually have already done an entire OVA about that. Yeah. The entire thing with that is Stardust Memory 0083. The reason that the Titans set, were set up was because the Delaz fleet was so successful in harassing the Federi occupation force in side three and actually killed a number of prominent people such that with combination of later on, they kind of mentioned in side stories like uh, the Gundam, the origin novels later on, if I remember right, uh, that there were actually protests, very peaceful protests that were saying, look, I, we, we get it. Zeon is bad, but please, we just want equal representation. And the Fetties went, and you, good buddy, here's some poison gas right in your ventilation system. And this was the the retaliation that the Space Noids had against that was the reason why the Titans actually... Right, and I wanted to see it integrate more into those those stories. And then, and then in Season 2, instead what we get is this like South Seas alliance thing which is just like the the next bad guy you know group it it gets super jumbled which which admittedly in part in in the middle half of double zeta is actually a thing you see that the earth federation's control of the earth is not nearly as total as you see and there are vast swaths of southern africa and the pacific especially southeast asia that are still under Zeon control. I mean, it's still, it's Zeon remnants, but they're still under Zeon control. So it's kind of a reference to that. It's been a while since I've watched that one. And I mean, it's understandable if you don't know about that. Double Zeta is kind of a mixed. Uh, Some people really like it. Some people don't like it. But I I can say one thing for certain. It's not anime. Yeah. That's a joke, by the way. The thing with season two is it gets really jumbled and really hectic. It's like they wanted twice as many episodes as they were allowed to have. I would agree with that. It's like all of season two, it's got some cool moments. The guff moment where they're like fighting on the carrier was kind of cool. And like, again, it's got some cool action sequence moments. But then it, I feel like season one is a lot more focused. It's very much more this side story companion to just 0079 you have elements that they talk about in conversations for example the first conversation with when we get introduced with tem ray and right noah they're talking about how bad the front line is yeah and just you know having to send children out into the front line you see just a lot of the horror of the front line with the beginning in season one and 
it had so many elements that were working and then other elements that were not working, but I wanted it so bad to be this like just battle of, you know, battle of Bastogne type thing of just this companion side story of like, here's the front line of the war sort of story. And then it, it, it hits a little bit of that point and it's, there's some moments that are pretty darn cool. And then it just, flips off a cliff you know honestly what i i kind of realized i wanted and i'm, I'm kind of i i hate it because i really wanted to like thunderbolt but it, it just is not this basically i wanted athemes team but from the perspective of a zeon squad have it have been like the living the living dead core just have it be that and have it be their struggles and the fact that they have limited ammunition their people are inexperienced and they constantly have threat of, and here's the beautiful thing. You could just have had the full armor Gundam and just, here's the thing. Don't show the pilot. Have it be the white devil. See, they have those, they have brief glimpses of what that could have been with those moments. For example, like, oh my gosh, that one sequence, it's like a short sequence, but it's a POV shot where you have oh yeah and you're seeing the gundam flying at him you are on the receiving end of just a gundam assault and it is just brutal and it's like you see those moments and it's just like oh man the entire series is brutal i've never seen another series that goes into such detail as to like oh yeah by the way here's Zaku, and he's about up oh, the cockpit it's about to get pierced by a light uh, a beam saber Oh, here you go. You get to see his body literally superheating under his normal suit. And then his his body explodes in the normal suit. (laughs) Oh, here's this person who gets crushed by ice in their cockpit. Whoops, here's a person. They get exploded and they're screaming. And you see it happen. It's so visceral. 0080. I remember this because this was one 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 of the OVAs that I really want to see because... First off, a lot of the redesigns for 0080 War in the Pocket were really good. And then I actually watched it and I cried like a because it's like, my God, war really is hell. Bernie Sanders honestly is a better War in the Pocket honestly shows like the brutality of the end of the war better in a lot of ways and is more focused than this is. And when they at the very end, when the Federation officers who are recovering his Zaku are like, what happened to the pilot? Oh, he's dead. He's hamburger. They don't actually show him getting, you know, fried to a crisp. Well, here in Thunderbolt, if you want to see what happens to someone when they get hit with a beam saber, there you go. You get to see them literally getting microwaved and exploded. Okay, this this might be me being squeamish. I'm, I'm an edgy boy, but it's like, yeah, man, at certain levels, it's kind of over the top. You go into a Gundam series, you expect a certain level of violence just as a par for the course. But this got really, really grotesque. And the part, there's a part during the underwater battle where there's like this, this woman in one of the Xeon suits. And she gets like hit with like the clawed fingers of this Fetty suit. And, and like it zooms in into her cockpit so you can see it happen as the walls cave in on her. And I'm like, that is genuinely. Oh, oh, are you talking about when there was the aquatic ball? Yeah. They, uh, yeah. She was in the ball. That's the right. High gog, like come in and like just smash her ball. Yeah. Cause she was part of the ball squad. And I'm just like, that was genuinely unpleasant. Like <laughs> people died in MS Gundam. People died in G Gundam. 
but I, I didn't actually have to see the cockpit of the mobile fighter as it was being hit kind of thing. Uh, like, a certain level of discretion isn't expected, and I've seen really graphic stuff before, but I think it shocked me more because I'm just like, this is a Gundam series, and I wasn't expecting that. I think that just kind of made it more more unpleasant. I think that's the big thing, because it's not anywhere near, like, there's a lot more violent shows out there. But again, it's like you said, it's Gundam, and this is not what you would expect from Gundam. Like, they have not gone this visceral before. You know, if it's berserk, I've seen guts, like, slice people in half, and there's, you know, guts everywhere, intestines flying. You know, I see Claymore, and, you know, Claire is literally drawing and quartering, you know, Yoma. That's okay. But Gundam, Gundam is a little show for little boys. You don't see people getting burned alive before they're vaporized, you know? And somewhat related, I want to talk about the sound design for this show. Specifically, the voice actors do a great job. Obviously, it's in Japanese with subtitles. I don't speak Japanese. But everyone seemed like they were really suited for their character. Now, the thing I didn't like was the quote-unquote soundtrack. I would take Hatsune Miku singing over this, the OST of Seven Dragon 2020 over this. <laughs> I think that it's like the fact that it was just, it's free jazz. And on top of that, then I'm hearing, and it's like, I'm sorry, I think I'm going to have a seizure and fall on the ground now because it's just, it is just bombarding me with sound. And it's just, it's not coherent. It's not it's not melodious. It's it's just loud. And I, I suppose that's yeah, the point. Like, I'm like, a huge fan of like, jazz. It is just really hard to... I'm like, okay, I'm trying to like watch these two guys kill each other. And they're zooming around. And God, I sound like an old man. Like trying to watch these guys zooming around. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And on top of that, I just have... And yes, I know there's a metatextual reason for it. Because, you know... I owe Fleming and I am the main character and I love jazz. I'm like, yeah, okay. But it, it was too much. And they kind of toned that back in the second season. The problem in the second season, I feel like, is that it's so much more mellow in terms of the soundtrack that it doesn't fit. Yeah, it almost goes like the wrong yeah. direction where instead of being cacophonic, it's almost like the soundtrack itself is serene. And the situation is not. Yeah, honestly, in certain situations, I feel like they probably should have done akin to what a lot of like Mobile Fighter G Gundam did, where like when stuff gets really, really, really tense, it starts to just have the the really low, really broody, just blah blah, just bass, rather than just I I am being a you know sexually harassed by a trumpet. So <laughs> yeah, like I'm a huge fan of jazz especially classic jazz. Not a fan of this free jazz nonsense. It sounds like the soundtrack had an Olive Garden went through a weed eater. <laughs> it's, it's a type of jazz where it's basically you are so you're and correct me if I'm wrong, Cog, but it's basically, you are such a master that you just kind of are freestyling. It is very free jazz. Yeah. They're kind of just wailing. Um, a lot of what you have in the beginning is, is that, that trumpet cacophony whenever they kind of show EO flying around. And like, if you're going to do jazz, I actually felt like this made 
more sense in that it's like it's it's not like what you get with another series, like something that Dotaku has complained about a lot, where it's like, oh, just we're just having smooth jazz now. We're just having a smooth jazz track where it's like if you're gonna <laughs> use jazz as like a war background, <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna use jazz as a war background, I, well, first off, I think jazz is just I don't know that it works. <laughs> well, no, it can d- depending on how you do it. I feel like the cacophony elements of it in season one work a bit better than it does in two In two. It very much becomes that like, Oh, we're just, we're just doing some free jazz and everything's just kind of all over the place. Whereas season one is very like, this is the front line. Everybody's exploding. Everything's done. Like it's just, there's a ton of action. It's very plot. It's very action heavy, very generally plot light, I would say. And it's just, robots flying at each other blowing up and then just crazy noise like all over the place there's a lot more faffing about in season two and yeah it's it's kind of to its detriment too and the thing is jazz as a soundtrack can work a really good example of this is my mind is serene and clear from g gundam which takes a lot of elements from jazz music and turns it into an attack theme you can do it you just have to do it in a particular way yeah one thing i will say about eo i will actually this is sorry totally off topic but one thing i will say about eo that just popped in my head the one thing i do give him 1.4 is he's got good taste in liquor because when he's sinking and he saves him and he asks for a mccallan 12 years straight scotch whiskey i was like that, that's actually some good stuff yeah <laughs> and it's well, not I cheap mean, I, it makes me I, wonder I was, I was wow. about to say, it makes me wonder how much do you actually make as a gundam pilot because well, that stuff's not exactly cheap by the well model. didn't they say that he comes from money like old money oh you're right you're right yes he was actually well well off yeah, yeah his did. father was the head of the side four and like yeah he, he was uh like they mentioned i, I want to say like in season one like the, it's actually kind of a risk because he's actually one of the sons of the elite families of these oligarchs who rule the earth federation which i mean plays off a point that detaku's brought up of just like they show you federation being very big and pompous in this one that, that uh, actually re- reminds me of something else i hated about this series there's this entire thing in the first season where Eo's having this relationship with this one woman. I don't remember her name. Uh, Cecilia, I want to say. That think, sounds the, right. The captain. Oh, yeah, the dragon. Yeah, and basically, we just have these random scenes of her, like, coked out of her mind in her underwear. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. This this is appropriate. This is uh, totally what I associate Gundam with. Uh, you know. I, I just was kind of confused by that. It really didn't, like, upset me. I'm just like, is are they going to go somewhere with this? It didn't add to anything. Her whole thing with the it gets a little bit more fleshed out with the manga. And she's basically just, she's cracking because she's been having to sit at this front line, just sending wave after wave of children and, and all sorts of people out to what she knows is she's just setting them out to a meat grinder and she just kind of is is not handling it well that, that was kind of a thing too like i, I want to say halfway through the first movie they just introduced like a whole mess of new characters and they're like well well Com- lieutenant eo sir here's your new squad i'm like and they are all dead and then snack just looks at me he's like okay i'll see that and then like the next scene is just daryl just shredding all of them i'm like eh, okay Okay. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you got to man up and eat your own words. And the thing is, a lot of these plot lines are introduced and are either not acted upon or they're acted upon very poorly. And Cecilia's plot line in the first entire, like, 
75% can be ignored because it's not even relevant until like the very last bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even really important until she shows up magically again in the second season. And that basically becomes like, yeah, that was another thing I was like, define like EO's defining. Didn't thing. you get shot? Not just she <laughs> yeah, got shot. She, she got sucked into space. And yeah. Yeah. She is. She'd be dead. She did. Maybe she's got Rasputin syndrome or princess Leia syndrome. Ooh. ooh. Dude, dude, we can't do that again. We we already did a Star Wars rant. We can't do a Star okay, Wars. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll slither that one back. Right. Yeah, you, you take that in your tail and go back to your hole. Aww. So I guess I would say overall thoughts. Uh, I'm going to say a five out of ten. I really wanted to like it, but honestly, it just the, the characters did not click with me by and large. And I feel bad because I really like Daryl and I really like uh, Billy the second season, but it's just, it does not focus on them. It is the magical adventures of EO as she kills the crap out of the Zeeks. Damn Zeeks, I'm going to put a cigarette out in your eye and fly around with my cool Gundam. And it's like, ugh. if I really wanted to watch this, I could have just watched Mobile Suit Gundam. And I actually like Amaro, and it would have been better, and I would have had more fun. So, yeah, that, that's my thoughts. The, the thing, I, I agree, I, mim- I mirror a lot of Dutaku's thoughts. Like, I would say three of ten. I don't think it's even worth watching because it doesn't me- make a meaningful contribution. It's a side story that has no way of connecting back into the UC because it's so anachronistic. If it had ended the way that Cog suggested with one season and, you know, Daryl getting the win over EO and being like, yeah, we destroyed a Gundam. You know, Zeon has like this big victory after all the sacrifices Daryl makes. The series would have been, I say, like a seven out of ten. By comparison. Oh, yeah. No, that definitely would have been better. Instead, we get the only character I cared about was Daryl. Everyone else could just die in a fire and I wouldn't know the difference. It, but not even Billy? You didn't even like Billy? Billy was okay, but he didn't really leave the impact on me. He left on you. Um, and the thing is, like, he has this love interest. And at the end of the first season, it looks like she dies. She survives. But then they have, like, this weird age regression plot line that felt incredibly uncomfortable and unnecessary. Like, Yeah, that was weird. I totally forgot about that until you brought it up. Yeah, every good idea that Thunderbolt Gundam has is ruined by two terrible ideas that overrule it. And as much as I think Daryl deserves infinitely better than he got, I don't think it's going to happen even if a third season is produced. Skip this series. Watch MS Gundam. Watch 8th MS Team. They're infinitely better. Oh, they're they're both fantastic. So what about you, Cog? What what are your thoughts? So like I said, this was one of the more recent ones I had seen, and I'm glad we did this podcast because I've been holding on to these thoughts about this thing for a while. I feel like when I watched it, much like Snack said, I think it introduces a lot of really cool ideas, especially in season one. I like the idea of a series from the Xeon perspective. I really liked Daryl. Like Dataku and Snack have said, he's he's the main guy that you get drawn to. And I just kind of just feel really horrible for this guy because they're just like chopping his legs, uh, chopping his arms and legs. He's very off relatable. Yeah. So seeing that element from the Xeon perspective that like this is a big complex war and there are good people on both sides sort of thing was was kind of cool to see with Daryl. I wanted a lot more of Daryl. EO is just a big villain and there were elements that I did kind of like I briefly touched on. I liked where you got to see the Gundam from the Xeon perspective as a villain where it's like just this big brutal thing coming at them. 
And so you have a lot of those instances in the action sequences where the, you know, the fully armored is flying around just annihilating people and everybody's like, oh my God, it's really brutal and crazy. But it would pull me in and then be like, oh, pull me in. And I'd be like, oh, it's getting better. Oh, it's this weird, bizarre roller coaster ride. And then I really got, I actually really enjoyed the the buildup into the fully armored versus the Saikuzak. That was probably my favorite sequences of Thunderbolt is the the actual fight scene between the fully armored and the Saikuzaku is pretty phenomenal. They're flying around in space, running into debris. It just looks awesome. Yeah, I agree. And with that. then, man, is it a disappointment when EO doesn't just, oh, I wanted him to die. <laughs> I wanted him yeah, so you are bad. Not I wanted alone. this so yeah. No, I, I was like, oh, why? <laughs> and I wanted so bad for Daryl to like get a win for Xeon on this one because he's such a giant dick. And I know there are apologists out there for EO. I have, I've read some of those guys so like, oh, well, in the manga, you know, it makes more sense because, you know, he's got his reasons. But I'm like, no, he, he really is a big jerk in the manga, too. He's a he's a big baby and he's just a spoiled rich kid. And, you know, how how dare they? The, I think he worked as a villain because I wanted him so bad to just get his face beaten in. <laughs> but then again, like I said, it's just this big disappointment at the end. And then season two, again, I really enjoyed Lorenz's parts as I, I think Lorenz was a cool character. And then I liked seeing the little elements. I think the best part of season two is the covert mission they have with the at guys i thought was that was just a really cool sequence that they did the whole rest of it turns into this big mess like we've kind of talked about and there basically comes down to there there's a lot of really cool ideas that get introduced with this thing it is a really weird mixed bag unfortunately it doesn't follow through on all of them but yeah i i would say i have to give this one i'm not going to be quite as hard on the violence because i I'm not usually quite as hard on that stuff, but that's our cog. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I would say I'd give this one about like, uh, again, I really wanted it to just be one season. I wanted it to, to just be a big battle of Bastogne for Gundam type thing. Like here's the front line. And then I liked the idea of it being from a Xeon perspective. And if it had just ended with like a, a, a Xeon win for once, instead of this, the Gundam plowing through everyone, I would have liked it a whole lot more. My overall rating, I would probably say, I'll say six out of 10. Wow, you're being really generous. <laughs> okay, guys, if that's everything on that, it's time for Tomodachi Roulette. Guys, the Gundam Thon has concluded. We're free. We're free, gentlemen. We're free. We are free from the shackles of Gundam. I, I shouldn't say that. I really love Gundam, but man, it's been a, it's been a slog there at the end. It was a long. We uh, so for the listeners, when we were recording this, we missed like a month between the last episode. So because I got sick, and we had all sorts of other stuff going on. Yeah, work work overtook us, and I fell behind. And there were uh, two snack episodes that were delayed because of it. So the so the Gundam Thon got pulled out like quite a lot. So now now we're finally like <laughs> we made it. We did it. All right. So Cog, since you are the unlucky one, you're you are luck rank E. Uh, what's your pick? I wanted to do something completely opposite of Thunderbolt. This is a show that is honestly it's it's pretty obscure from what I can tell, and it's really kind of a dumb show, but it is almost the polar opposite of everything we've been watching. 
and it is it is Space Battleship Tiramisu, which which is a giant elements of what we kind of just watched and just taking it to just absurd silliness. All right, so I'm going to put Space Battleship Tiramisu as number one on the roulette. Okay, so Mr. Snick, what about you? I'm going to pick Do You Love Your Mom and Her Two-Hit Multi-Target Attacks. It's a very funny OVA. It's only 12 episodes. It's very lighthearted. And despite the title, it is, in fact, not a hentai series. Yes, it, it actually is. It's actually very cute and very wholesome. All right. Yeah, on a similar vein to Mr. Cog, I it took me a while to think about this. I wanted something that's dumb, very fluffy, like a comedy show. But at the same time, I feel like I should not assault these guys with Pop Team Epic yet. So I'm going to pick Carnival Phantasm. And I have my anime list right here. So what's our random choice going to be? Wheel of Morality. It is. Holy crap. You're not going to believe this. All right. Log Horizon. Okay. That's one of Snack's favorite animes. It it is. It's fantastic. Uh, so, So everyone knows Roulette Wheel Space One is Space Battleship Tiramisu. Number two is Do You Love Your Mom, et cetera, et cetera. Three is Carnival Phantasm, and four is Log Horizon. I am spinning the dice now. We hit number four. All right, next time is going to be Log Horizon. So this is the first season, then, I assume? Yeah, let, let's do the first season. Yeah, it kind of, it has a good end cap, too, so... Yeah, so we'll do it like that. This will be fun, because I haven't actually watched Locked Horizon yet. Y- I think you'll like it. Uh, as I mentioned, actually, back in the episode zero, this is an anime that I could watch over and over and over again, and I would still not only enjoy it, I think I'd take something new away from it each time I did. It's really good, yeah. I, I would definitely agree. I've actually... I have up to, like the sixth volume of the white novels. It's, it's fantastic stuff. The anime, as far as us in the English speaking world are concerned, the two season anime actually covers every book released so far with the exception of the West wind brigade side stories. Oh, that's another thing. We actually have the log horizon, uh, tabletop RPG translated. That's a thing. If we're going to do tabletop t- tabletop, cheap brothers or whatever. Oh, that could be fun. Check us out next time with log horizon. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Tomodachi Brothers Review Podcast. Produced and recorded by The Hipster Snack, Ditaku, and Cog. Sound design and editing by executive producer Sean Taylor Brown with Cog Sound Engineering. Music written and performed by Sean Taylor Brown with Costas Voss of Core Insight Studio on the drums. We hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Tomodochi Bros Anime Podcast. I'm one of the co-founders and co-hosts of the podcast, The Hipster Snack. If you want more content from me, I have my own YouTube channel, The Hipster Snack. Links will be available everywhere I can spam it up until I get a custom one, but all in due time. I do weekly game reviews, and in the future, probably more than that. Look forward to it, and I'll see you there and on Twitter, at Hipster Snack. See ya!